but as soon as he was alone, he fell into a brooding horror and heard the flames crackle and saw the red fire burn in the bottomless pit. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to bring you some incredible news. We are under attack. Never before has this reporter seen such devastation, such destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear the time has come for Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules! So grab a can of fermented weed and listen up. It may just save your life. Welcome back to Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. I'm your host, Douglas Arthur, and today we have a very special Halloween episode. Uh, I will be reading to you the classic Edgar Allan Poe tale, The Telltale Heart. Uh, growing up, this was one of my favorite stories. I, I really got into Edgar Allan Poe as a young kid, um, mainly because of my father, who used to read um, all of these kind of stories <laughs> to to me uh, and and my brothers and sisters when we were when we were much younger. Um, all kinds of stuff he would read to us, uh, and I, I remember fondly hearing the Telltale Heart um, as read to me by my father at a very young age. I was probably, uh, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe nine, um, <laughs> when I remember hearing it for the first time. And um, I know at least one of my teachers in, in grammar school read it to us uh, for Halloween as well. But uh, Edgar Allan Poe has always been kind of a fascination with me. I've always enjoyed his stories. Um, and I certainly wouldn't call myself any kind of a Poe expert, but uh, I do enjoy his work quite a bit. Um, and uh, this is certainly one of my favorites. Uh, now, this was originally um, published in 1843, uh, January of 1843, um, and has gone through a couple of revisions um, before, uh, uh, you know, it, it takes the shape that we we uh, you know uh, recognize today. Um, initially, it had a uh, an epigraph by Wordsworth um, at the very beginning of the of the story, and uh, Poe decided um, to delete that um, because he could not verify its uh, source. He he thought it might have felt it might have been plagiarized, so he. Um, he deleted that from future uh, from future printings of the story, uh, and there were some other minor um, things. Uh, a couple of other interesting uh, things to note about the Telltale Heart um, is the lack of gender-specific narrator. Uh, the narrator is, you know, it's the, the story is told in first person, but you never get the sense. Um, I, I always figured the protagonist was a male, but if you look at it, there is no gender specificity. <laughs> Say that six times fast. Uh, and it, it has been argued that it's possible that the uh, protagonist in the story, the narrator of the story, is a female. Um, you know, and that's one of those things that people in literary circles like to argue um, I just think it's uh, an interesting fact to note that uh, you could go either way with this. Um, certainly, if it's a female protagonist, it uh, it makes um, it makes a, a different kind of subtext to the story than uh, 
than if it is a male protagonist. Um, but that's kind of interesting um, about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, this, um, this story was also uh, going back to the early days of film, um, you know, turned into movies. I think the earliest one um, on record is uh, from 1928. Um, and, uh, so it's, and, and it, and there's been varying, um, uh, varying, uh, variations of that, um, ever since. Uh, so it, it's been, uh, well adapted, uh, over the years in all forms of, all forms of media. Uh, there have been all kinds of parodies of this and so on. Um, there was actually one of my favorite, uh, couple of my favorite cartoonists uh rick veach and and steve Bissett, actually did a uh, a horror well this is already a horror story but they did a kind of a horror uh parody story called the telltale fart uh which is kind of famous um in uh, underground comic circles um and i do have to say it's a pretty gross story as you can probably imagine um but uh in any event um, this is one of my favorite stories. I hope you enjoy it, uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the other side. I, I love Poe, and uh, I think it's perfect for this. Um, I think it's perfect for this time of year. So hang on to your hats, sit back, relax, uh, sip a uh, pumpkin latte if that is your, is that a, if that is your want, um, and, uh, and enjoy Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degree, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing, but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded with that caution, with that foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him, and every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, 
I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! <laughs> would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously. Oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. And I undid just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed. And so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no, his room was black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed fastened through the fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan. I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it had welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy himself causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, it is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. 
Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain, all in vain because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a simple, dim ray like the thread of the spider shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow of my bones, but I could not see else of the man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous. So I am, and now at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned and I worked hastily but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up the three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. 
I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded that hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues. While I myself, with the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct, and I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness, until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I had grown very pale, but I talked more fluently and with the heightened voice. Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much as a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men but the noises steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew, they were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony, anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear these hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now again, hark, louder, 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 villains! I shrieked, dissemble no more, I admit the deed, tear up the planks, here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart.
you have it, folks. The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, one of my favorite stories. Just in time for Halloween. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my rendition of it. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. I hope you like it, too. Um, we'll be back next time and very soon uh, with another brand new episode. Uh, this time we'll be doing another in our uh, series of best albums you've never heard. And we'll be profiling the 1980 album, the commercial album, by uh, the band The Residents. Um, some of you may or may not be familiar with The Residents, but... Um, we will learn more about them next time. Um, also coming up, I have another episode co-hosted with uh, our favorite uh, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. We'll be chatting about one of my favorite cartoons, Johnny Quest. Uh, that's coming up, and I've got a lot of other great episode uh, episodes lined up for next year. Uh, so 2014, we'll see um, Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules back into a a little more regular active duty. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules! Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules is copyright 2013 by Douglas Arthur for Dugside Syndicate. You can contact the show by sending email to spacemules at yahoo.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at Space Mules and head over to Facebook for the official Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules fan page for all the latest news, updates, and photos. And don't forget to check out cafepress.com slash spacemules for Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules swag. T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, you name it, we have all the highest quality merchandise you can shake a Zuni doll at. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Don't forget to tune in next time when you'll hear my brother say... I don't see any either, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing there. Hey folks, I just want to take a couple minutes here at the end of the show to talk to you a little bit about my new book project, Anti-Social Lawnmower. It's a 392-page compilation of all the cartoons I've done in the last 25 years, plus lots of bonus materials and memoirs. It's a great read and a great bargain at just uh, $25, and that's available through Amazon.com. And uh, you can also order directly from me if you go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash tales from the Dugside. You can send me a little message or, uh, or email me at dugside at yahoo.com and uh, find out how you can get your own personally autographed copy of my memoirs, Anti-Social Lawnmower. Uh, which is a great collection of cartoons. Um, also available, I have two other smaller compilations, uh, Tales from the Doug Sides Horrible Book of Horrors, Volume 1, and Tales from the Doug Sides Horrible Book of Horrors, Volume 2. Uh, these, were, these are both 32-page uh, compilations of horror comics uh, that I put together for Fanticon in September of 2013 and the Buffalo Comic Con in October of 2013. Um, and they're kind of limited editions. There's only a few copies left. So, again, if you want to get your autographed copy, please uh, email me at dugside at yahoo.com or spacemules at yahoo.com and uh, let me know that you want a copy. Or you can head over to 
uh, once again, facebook.com slash Tales from the Doug Side to get more information about how to order your own copy for me. And they, those are also available on amazon.com. So uh, do me a favor. If you like the podcast, if you're interested in uh, helping out the show, it would be awesome if you would order up a copy. They make great Christmas gifts and stocking stuffers, assuming, of course, you've got a big stocking because the... Antisocial Lawnmower is 392 pages, and it's about two and a half pounds, so it's a good bug squasher at the very least. So uh, there you go. We'll see you next time on Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. Thanks for listening, and uh, enjoy the rest of your Halloween season. Woo! <laughs>